and here's another funny story about these shares, how I got them. I got them for free. And how I got them was uh, I went to a family wedding and me and my brother saw these chairs, thought they'd be good for the studio. So we went and we got orange vests and we put them on and we walked into this hotel lobby and we took the chairs out and put so them in the car. The we stole them. Well, if you're going into a fucking lobby wanting to steal chairs that are actually <laughs> exciting and I unique and special. <laughs> I thought these were. Jesus Christ, man. I'm a thief. That's all. So you were wondering. parents know that? Uh, yeah, they do. They weren't happy, but they were there, actually. They were uh, technically accomplices. Like a Jewish biker. We used their car. <laughs> we used their car to put these chairs oh in God, it. Oh, my God, that's yeah. awful. Yeah, so I don't come from a a good family, you could oh. say. Your advice single-handedly broke up my marriage. You're an awful person. You're 24 years old. Why would I listen to you? Why would you be giving therapy and advice to people who clearly need it? It doesn't make any sense, Ari. This is a horrible idea. You're listening to to Unlicensed. 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 Unlicensed therapy with Ari Manis. How are you? I'm still trying to live the dream. Did I take you away from work today? I take well, a couple like hours to, of your work like, day? What I like to do is, if I'm going to do my own podcast, the industry standard in my spare time, I'll do that at a lunchtime if I mm-hmm. can, as you know, because you used to be a That's tremendous how I know producer you. on that show. Yeah. Uh, so I try to do them as much as I can at lunchtime, and then when somebody asks me to do it, I try to do it at a time that, that works. Like, I just did Todd Garner's uh, podcast. Oh, I listen to that one sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, his first guest was Adam Sandler. So I told him I was doing a show. I said, Jesus, I feel like I should be wearing clown shoes. And, and But, you know, I think one of the amazing things about this business is it never ceases to shock you, no matter what level you're at. I don't care if you're Steven Spielberg or if you're Joe Spielberg. Is it's Joe like, Spielberg a real person? I will look him up on IMDb. <laughs> but I, I get in there and I I sit down and I say, I'm, I'm just really grateful that you had me do the podcast. And he said, Barry, you're the reason why I'm doing the podcast. I, you know, I've been listening to your show and, and you had me as a guest and 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 I wanted to bring something to the table. And so when you hear that, it like, it, it almost validates everything that you do because you just want to do great things for people. I don't know if anybody, everybody listening to the show or watching your show feels that way, but to me, I'm not doing the podcast because I want to become a famous star. I'm doing the podcast because... As a manager, like when you when you you help an artist with your talent and their talent, let's say, be a cast member on Saturday Night Live, you it's it's fucking great, but you only helped one person. It could be argued, no, Barry, you 
helped NBC and Lauren and his team and the writing staff and the producers and, and all the people who watch the show and, and all enjoy the people that who talent. watch the show enjoy that talent. But I'm talking in the scheme of being a manager. In a man, when you're a manager, your goal is to service the list of a bucket list of people and what they want in their careers. And so you do the podcast, you do one episode of the podcast and, you know, hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of people um, get something out of it. And, and you, you, you get letters that are insane. You're getting letters like, I'm getting letters like, you know, Dane Cook is getting letters from the military. You're getting letters or emails? You've gotten handwritten I've gotten letters? I've gotten handwritten wow. letters. I've gotten steamer trunks, FedExes, <laughs> because I have things that I talk about. FedEx. I get, you know, oh, yeah. direct messages. I get, trip. you know, Instagrams. I get every kind of communication, and it, it's incredibly positive. But when you're doing a podcast, you think, okay, well, I'm that's who I'm reaching, the people who are starting their journey or have gotten their shit kicked out of them and they want to let you know that they helped and they tell you their story of how they used your advice to do something and this is what happened. But then every once in a while you'll get something like, I think when you were producing the podcast, it was probably one of the proudest moments for me and it was just it seems silly but I got a handwritten letter from George Shapiro who produced Seinfeld for all yeah. those years and was Jerry Seinfeld's, Jerry Seinfeld's manager. manager still to this day it's like you know he's in his 80s great podcast and he sends me this handwritten letter thank you so much uh, I thought you might enjoy this and in the letter was another letter and it was sort of opened and it was addressed to George Shapiro in his address. And I open it up and it says, George, I just want you to know I listen to you on Industry Standard and I, I love the interview. It's one of the best interviews I've ever heard and I could have listened to it 10 more times. Thank you so much for doing it, Judd. And I'm like, holy shit, Judd Apatow is listening to the podcast? When the fuck does he have time? To <laughs> and then you had him on the podcast, right? Yeah. So then yeah. I called him and asked him, and he did it. And so, so it's it's an incredible thing to do something, especially at my age, mm -hmm. especially when people have told you don't do it. Everybody told me not to do it. Like you can't do it, Barry. There's no managers who do this. It's a bad move. You know where all the bodies are buried. You know. <laughs> You know all the stories. People are going to hate it. Executives are going to be pissed off. They're not going to book your talent. They're not going to talk to you. Clients are going to fire you. I said, hey, listen, I'm not worried about that. I've gotten fired plenty of times. I'll get fired <laughs> more times and I'll get hired more times. And I did it anyway. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm really glad I did because it's probably the greatest thing personally rewarding thing that I have ever done and you're Jewish and if you were to talk to a rabbi <laughs> they would say you would say I feel really good about what I'm doing now and the rabbi would say well it's not all you you can't you can't feel this way unless there's an equal part on the other side that's getting something back in an equal form 
So even though I feel so much, well, I'll use a Yiddish word because I stayed in your home, nachas. My parents are. Nachas means just great feelings. Uh, it's the first time I've ever done that in any interview or any podcast. <laughs> and there's got to be an at least an equal amount of people getting the same much back from it. Yeah. And I feel these journeys of these people. And you were, and I just want to tell your audience that um, you were an incredibly wonderful part of my journey. And you dedicated so much to me and you gave so much effort to it because I'm, as you know, I'm not an easy person to <laughs> deal with. It's not that I'm an angry person. It's not that I'm a type AAA person. It's not that I'm throwing staplers at Maybe you. Maybe you're a little uh, eccentric. Yeah, I'm eccentric <laughs> and I like to Particular. have... And I like to have things edited a certain way that I want them. And for those listening, what that means is Barry had me edit out every breath, <laughs> every <coughs> every little imperfection of a podcast. Barry, do you still do that? Do you still edit those out? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like He makes them. his podcast perfect, <laughs> whereas most people hit record and release it. Maybe they'll cut something out if they offend someone or say something offensive or talk shit about someone. Barry will say, no, leave all that in, but take out the little imperfections. But yeah, if an artist cool. asks yeah. to take something out, yeah, of course I'll you take will. it out. Or yeah. sometimes, like, I think we did this together. Somebody said something and didn't catch themselves saying it. And then they said something like something really offensive about <laughs> overweight women. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I took it out and then I told them I took it out because I didn't want them right. to get Right. Yeah. Get you hurt you got people. You don't want anyone to get in trouble, including. Uh, your guest or yourself or but you were um, incredible with me it was a good learning experience too I got a list it forced me to listen to the podcast which I should listen to every episode but I can't say that I find the time to listen to every single one but it forces me to and they're all every single episode you learn something new about that person about the industry about life and it it was a good podcast it was a good education it was like a little college course on the entertainment business but one of the things that i thought about with you there which i mean i thought to myself when i was starting in the business and the people that you got to meet yeah and the people that you were in front of face to face yeah it was nerve-wracking even though you know i was, mean it was incredible i i never had that like i didn't have like one percent of that and so sometimes when somebody's doing like even when somebody's doing like a, a an internship i think to myself when that happens and they're in the room like i had this uh, interview with norman lear i mean i had to pinch myself the norman lear i mean this is a guy who changed my life even though he didn't know he changed my life and there's I think I had three interns in there during the time. And after they shook his hand and walked them down to the car and he talked to them for a while, I came back to the office and I actually said this thing to myself, which is horrible. But I said this in my mind. I said, I don't have to do another fucking thing for these interns. <laughs> I mean, if I just had one hour or two hours with Norman Lear, 
when I was coming up. I mean, I would have paid. I would have found five thousand dollars to pay for that. <laughs> and 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 so I feel like the internships that I do work with, as well as the assistant, I feel like. I really want to be a mentor. I really want to try to do great things. I, I, I'm here today. <laughs> I, you know, I don't do every podcast. Right. I'm sure you get asked a lot. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm here because I, I genuinely love you. Your family has been amazing to my family. <laughs> and you fucking spit blood for me. And you are not a spit blood for anyone kind of guy. No, um, I mean looking. It's funny because looking back, I was in front of, and got to meet all these crazy power player guests on the industry standard podcast. But I was so new to LA at that time. I had just moved here, just moved here, just started stand up. I really just didn't even realize it at the time. I mean, I did, but I didn't at the. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know who anyone was. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is a producer. Oh, I guess this is a director. But I wasn't in that world. I didn't know. So I was just, all right, I'm producing this, another podcast. I mean, you should tell your audience <laughs> some of the names that you were oh, it, privy to it was, it was sitting next I to got, a meeting and talking. Um, to. I got, yeah, Neil Brennan, directors, producers, all the, I mean, just go through his catalog of guests because I was on for the first hundred episodes or so it was it was a long time and then later after that i was helping Polly record his podcast Polly shore who um who i got open for and stuff like that and we went to judd apatow's house to record it so i was sitting in judd apatow's living room just looking at his family pictures and stuff it was pretty weird it's a weird moment i don't know why i mean he's just a guy like anyone else he's just a guy with a family but you think wow this guy has made all the movies that i love and that i dream of making and being in and, and working like with Polly, you know obviously that's another thing that was a great thing for you and you got to see how two different people work yeah and how pe- two different people function in business and how they talk to people and how they relate and their relationships and and where they go wrong and where they go right and the ups and downs just in a different profession. And Polly's a, a fascinating, fascinating guy. A fa- it was a great interview I, I had with him, and I've known him since he first started. And, you know, when you're talking about a guy who, you know, grew up sitting on a stairs with Richard Pryor. Right. When Steve you know, Kenna- oh, and uh, Sam Kennison is his babysitter. Yeah, when you're when you're, what do you expect somebody's gonna come out like? But the fact <laughs> yeah. is, is the yeah, pe- anyone time, any time someone says Polly's a weird guy, I go, he's actually very normal considering <laughs> his childhood and how he was and raised. The, and the fact is, is that in my opinion. He had as high a high as, as Richard Pryor or Sam Kinison had. He had as low a low as, as Sam Kinison had and Richard Pryor. The difference was he didn't create a body of work that the audience um, embraced for 
long, long periods of time, decades, and 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 that's the difference. And and for any comedian or any artist listening, the biggest thing that you should always be working on is what it is you put out there in the world because that's the thing that you're judged on through time and if it's original and extraordinary and as I like to say undeniable then it's going to be prior-esque or kinesin-esque and even if Paulie were sitting here he would say my material does not stack up to Sam or to Richard Right, and then, but they would probably say their material didn't stack up to someone else. I would imagine uh, a lot of times they they might, or, but the point being is that if you just take the comedy profession, and what I'm about to say is probably kind of, um, I don't want it to seem daunting or depressing, but. In every profession, there's a lot of geniuses. In the tech world, there's a lot of geniuses. In the music world, we can name 25 geniuses. Just in front of the mic and then behind the mic, you can name other geniuses. In you know so in the law profession or whatever people you know in that profession they can name tons of geniuses from all over the world in the writing world we can name tons of geniuses not tons but a lot of them who are just prolific and they keep churning great stuff out movies and tv tv has never been more powerful and great than it is now normally when there's more content out there normally the law of supply and demand you'll have you know stuff will be shittier it's not it's better great. than it's ever been but in comedy i'm going to ask you this question ari i'm going to put you on the spot okay okay i'm really going to put you on the spot can't wait okay name all of the comedy geniuses that are alive right now. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to miss a bunch, but geniuses to me, my favorite comedians, comedic minds. Not your favorite geniuses. But, but they're my favorite because I think they're geniuses. Okay. who? How many are geniuses who are working today? Louis C.K., Bill Burr, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Theo Vaughn. Okay, time out. And I love Theo Vaughn. But if Theo Vaughn's sitting right here, he's not putting himself in that. Well, he's a humble guy. But I'd put him up there with those guys personally. Okay. Yeah. All right, so... Andrew Santino. Okay. Michael Costa. Okay. Fahim Anwar. Okay. Those are just the ones off the top of my head. All right. So, So first of all, Michael Costa, Fahim... They're, and, they're earlier and, on and, and compared Theo, to the first guys I named. And Theo, I I love all those guys because um, they're all trying to do something. Let me rephrase. I don't want to say they're trying. They're all doing something 
uniquely authentic. I'd say number one on the list of those three, and I, I hope I don't offend any of these three. because They I, won't listen. I love them <laughs> You're all. You're all good. Uh, Fahim is doing something uh, a cut above those other two because what he's trying to do is something almost Andy Kaufman-esque where he's trying to create two personas that work seamlessly well on any given night. And I know there's other comedians out there who don't look, you know, there's yeah, a guy who created a television show who's, you know, yeah. uh, you know the sportscaster. There's um, Jeff Cesario. Who does, but Fahim is just taking it like, one step further and the edge on the comedy is really cutting edge uh whereas those other people it's not as cutting edge theo vaughn the reason why i don't put theo vaughn in that category uh you know in the Chappelle category of all that is because there's something about the southern accent that is lighter fuel to the fire of comedy. Yeah, I agree so with that. So when you do the comedy with a regular voice, it's not as funny as if you do the comedy like this with this kind of voice and you, and you sit on the stool like Bill Cosby and you kind of focus yourself in one place <laughs> and then you tell the long story about school and what's... It it just it's like dousing the comedy with flames and it just explodes. I agree with that, but he can't control where he would grew up. That's, That's true. That's just his voice. That's true. Neither can Anthony Clark. But you yeah. talk to Anthony Clark in person and you talk to him on stage. You see him on stage. He, fl- he accentuates it. it. And my yeah. feeling is that Theo Vaughn accentuates the accent on stage. I could be wrong. I'd love for him to tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, I've talked to him. Uh, he actually won last comic standing the internet version of it. I didn't know there was an internet version. Uh, it was only one seen. year. and I. So, but I feel like that accentuates it. And then the technique of sitting on the stool, you know, it's the, it's, it's some, it's a formula that's, as comedy audiences we've seen before, mm-hmm. the material we have not seen before, great, original, wonderful, great stories. Because in comedy, it's all about the story. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I mean, but, I think this is one of those things where comedy is so subjective. I mean, the, some of the names, even you know, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr. We love those guys. I love those guys. But there's people that go, I'm not a big fan of Dave Chappelle. That exists. But that's okay. Yeah, and, and it's okay. I, I want to I address that as well. Yeah. But I want to finish this point. Okay. Please don't let me forget okay. these points. Um, so when I look at geniuses, I, I want to like, I guess my mind goes to certain places where I think okay, I saw that blueprint before. I saw the sitting on the stool before. Right. I saw the southern accent before. I didn't see the material before. Great material. Fahim, I've seen the guy do the character before and then do the other character. Okay, tonight I'm this guy and tonight I'm that guy. 
the material. Fucking unbelievable. Right. Michael Costa, a guy who's kind of like that, you know, the persona being the the guy who doesn't understand how arrogant and cocky he and how you know he does that kind of character that doesn't understand the character that like pulls out a trophy out of his jacket or <laughs> or it, and even the pieces that he's doing on the daily show great and great material and wonderful point of view but i i i tend to like I guess sometimes in my mind, and I'm just one guy. Who gives a fuck what I say? You're sure. just asking. Sure, yeah, everyone. And so, and so I'm just saying, love Michael Costa. Love that character. But I feel like I've, you know, I've, I've seen this blueprint before. And, you know, when I think about Chappelle, who I managed for eight years. That's what I was going to say. For those of you, I never got to give Barry a proper intro. Um, you don't do that later? Barry takes over the podcast when he comes on as I'm a guest. so sorry I'll <laughs> shut up no 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 you're good I love it uh, I expected it I wanted it I love it but Barry Katz for those of you who don't know has managed basically almost all of my favorite comedians at some point in his career which is Bill Burr Louis C.K. <laughs> Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle Nick Swardson did you, mar- yes. you manage Nick Swardson um, just a lot of my absolute favorites. So he's kind of uh, probably. I bet you most people listen to this won't know who you are because they don't listen to yours. Maybe some of them will come over who know you, but most people won't. So he's kind of a comedy legend. Everyone, he's like the most famous comedy manager because most people don't know who comedy managers are because they're behind the scenes. But Barry Katz, if anyone w- could name a comedy manager, it would probably be Barry Katz. I would I would argue. I mean, there's other powerful managers that other comedians may know, but as far as I don't know, that's what I think. I could be wrong. What do you do? You, would you agree with that statement? Would you say you're the most famous comedy manager? I you you don't want to say it's making you uncomfortable. I think there's tremendous comedy managers that are fucking amazing that just you know hide in the shadows, and because their job is what they learned and were trained to be their job, which is selflessness at the benefit of the people that they're working with. And I believe that the relationships that I create, look, I mean, part of it is also because Barry's a fucking weirdo and people make fun of him. I'm the most imitated voice in comedy, (laughs) I think, right? Uh, You're you're up there. (laughs) Everyone has a Barry Katz impression. Everyone has a Mitzi Shore impression. Everyone has a Jamie Masada impression. Well, I'd love to hear your Barry Katz. I can't do it. I'm I'm not an impressionist. I don't even try. I can't even do me. (laughs) So, So getting back to the genius thing, so I'm... I'm going to pretend that Michael Costas and um, and Fahim and Theo are here, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pretend that what I believe they would say that they aren't in the category of the people you mentioned. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned three, four people: Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to agree with you there on on those four uh, people. And those are the ones that I think most people would agree with. 
Yeah, I'm going to add one more to the list that I think is in that category of so much incredible originality and uniqueness that no one could ever even take a bit from. It's just, it's just so. And I, I would add Jim Jeffries to that list. He's great. I mean, yeah, if you, if I, I you would just, add other people to the list too. Those are just like top of my head. But yeah, I would agree. Jim if Jeffries you were to is Google amazing. the gun control bit on YouTube and you watch that, just it's like game set match. There's 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 no one that's ever done anything like that that I know of in comedy. And if maybe Lenny Bruce at some point in time did something along that lines but I mean forget about it so to me again we talked about the story it's all about the story the content and I talked earlier about how anybody out there as an artist where you're going to get where you're going to go is by creating extraordinary words on the page they're either on the page for a book they're on the page for a film. They're on the page for a television show. They're on the page for the Comedy Central roast jokes. They're on the page for your own stand-up. Whatever it is, your podcast, you're doing the opening monologue, your YouTube channel. If you're putting out content that is equal to moving people, like the five people that I just mentioned, well, get a fucking helmet because... People will find you and you are going to be as successful as you ever thought you could ever be in your life, much more. And you talk about the levels of success and and you talked about Chappelle and how, you know, believe it or not, there are people out there that say, you know, I'm not a fan of Chappelle. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just give an example of something to you, okay? So your audience can't see this, but... I'm just going to do this here. There's a little white speck, right? There's a lot of white specks on this table. It's an old chicken table. See, but there's a little white speck on that table there. It's like this, the, the size of like if you were to take a, a safety pin and prick it and then fill it with white. Now, Ari, that speck there, what percentage of this entire room ceiling walls uh all all the uh four walls and the ceiling and the floor so point zero 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 one say it again point zero 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 one percent point zero 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 one percent so what he's saying is i don't know exactly because i didn't hear all the zeros <laughs> but what he's saying is is that's probably one out of a million um Right there. Maybe maybe he's saying one out of a hundred thousand. Let's say he's saying one out of a hundred thousand. But I'm gonna go one step further. I'm gonna say one out of a million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're an artist out there and doing anything or anything you're doing where let's say you're somebody who loves internet slogans and you love hats and you wanna start a company where you you sew internet slogans on the bill of hats and and that's something that moves you and you want to start that career. Okay? But am I going to make it? Am I going to reach the world? Am I going to reach the people out there? I mean, how, 
how am I ever going to fucking make it? Well, if you reach that one fucking dot, you're a multimillionaire. And if you're a comedian and if you reach that, if that amount of people buy your special or buy your album, you are fucking living in a mansion in Beverly Hills. If that amount of people come see you in your shows across the country, you're going to be fucking models on piles of cash. But people always think, eh, I got to reach everybody. I got to be, the, you know, everybody's got to know my name. I got to be a superstar. No, you don't. You just yeah, have to true. reach that amount of people who love you yeah. and believe in you and think you're fucking great and you're going to be successful. And then that builds and it snowballs and then it's a bigger dot and a bigger dot and then it's the size of this table, which still isn't anything. People say like, God, Cardi B, she has 37 million followers. Well, how many people are in the world, Ari? Seven billion, I think. Seven billion. Now, yeah. I don't have a calculator here. I don't know what percentage 37 million is of seven billion because my phone calculator doesn't <laughs> go up that high. But I'm pretty sure it's a small percentage of the world. And she's the biggest female hip-hop artist in the world. And I don't even—I've heard of her, but I don't even—I've never even heard her music. Which yeah, and goes people to show sometimes you. make fun because there's certain areas of our world that don't make sense. Like, for instance, there are probably seven household name magicians in the past hundred years. Yeah, I was gonna say not right now. Like seven, maybe. And guess what hasn't happened in the last hundred years? There's not one female household name magician that anyone could name. Interesting. And if I ask people to name yeah, household name magicians, they'd name David Copperfield, who I've had in the show, Lance Burton, who I've had in the show, maybe Chris Angel. Dave Blaine. David Blaine. But that's a profession... Believe it or not, in every state, in every place in the world, there's tons of magicians. And there are fucking great magicians now. Magic Castle right back here. Yes, the Magic Castle, if you haven't been, it's incredible. Why are there no why are there only seven? Why are there only no women? And in hip hop, how many women household name artists are there? It's shocking. Few. Because the it's weird because the women and men rally around the words that are um, very um, degrading to women. But young kids, whatever, even young girls, they're singing the songs that include words about their own anatomy and what guys are doing to them. And yet they don't support the female artists who are part of the group. In comedy, I remember one time I, uh, I got to spend a lot of time with Chris Rock and one of the things he said was really interesting. He said, Barry, I never understand why there's not more millionaires who are women in comedy. I mean, all I got to do is put that great hour together and that, that people love, and, and they're going to be a millionaire. They're women. And 
he didn't say this, but what I could tell where he was going is that if you look at the rankings of all the comedians in the world and you had every comedian polled, men and women, um, like a guy could be like the 150th best stand-up comedian and, you know, there might be the third woman in there or the seventh woman in there. And so when you think about women in comedy or millionaires, there's probably 10 of them. Maybe yeah. that's a bad example. And exaggerate. it seems like there, there's more now. They're trying to make more of them now than in the past. I mean, it's, it's exciting what's happening now with women and, and the point of view in comedy and what's happening in the hard work ethic. You know, I look at somebody like Whitney Cummings, who I managed for probably seven or eight years. I mean, this is somebody, no one works harder than Whitney Cummings, or very few people work harder than her. This is somebody who we can visualize in the shower with her phone in a Ziploc bag. Um, Eliza Schlesinger, I mean, incredibly hard work ethic. When she was on Last Comic Standing, I was blown away at somebody who, who technically didn't even have the wealth of material but was just her mind was so powerful it's like i'm going to do this and you know i i love you know but also people like ellen who by the way i'm sorry i made a mistake i would say ellen is a genius i would say that before her newest special yeah well i don't i haven't seen the newest special but you know people always talk about specials and they they have like you watch cat williams Cat Williams, another guy. God, if he wasn't trying to kill himself so much in how he lives his life, yeah, I would put him as a crazy. genius. But you watched Cat Williams' last special, and you say, well, it's like he's doing 10 minutes on Jacksonville. <laughs> like, and then the last 10 minutes is on his dick. I mean, that's a genius? How, does, how could you call that guy a genius? And I always think to myself, hey, you know, what have you written today? <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, sometimes if a guy does yeah, four not, specials in a row, you, can't, you yeah. can't always, you know, Tracy Chapman comes out with the first album. Yeah, that was her album, shaking the rust off. Can't always be the best. You know, yeah. Chris Rock did seven minutes on Michael, or ten minutes on Michael Jackson on his, I think his third or fourth special. I remember coming up to him and said, you know, like, you know, I love what you did tonight. It was amazing, but why did you do that chunk on Michael Jackson. And he says, Barry, because my Michael Jackson jokes are better than anybody else's. And if I want to do Michael Jackson jokes, I'll do fucking Michael Jackson jokes. And I'm proud of it. I'll give him that. And so, but I always, I've always had the relationship with artists where, you know, I'm not a yes man. I'm going to come up to them and tell them my opinion because in, in my profession, I only get paid for one thing, which is my fucking opinion. <laughs> yeah. People respect your opinion for some, the most part. Some do, but yeah. like, look, I, like I'll say, like, like, like when I was starting to be a manager, I saw a bunch of people in Boston and my lane was more people that were more lovable and huggable. They could have an edge 
Like, Jay Moore had an edge, but he still had that lovable asshole kind of quality. Mm-hmm. You know, Louis C.K. wasn't like a Louis Anderson huggable and lovable who I managed for a time as well. But he had that kind of aw shucks kind of lovability with the edge. And Joe Rogan was working in Boston, and he was great. He was fucking amazing and powerful and confident and great looking and killed. And not to say if I ever asked him to manage him that he would say, yes, he'd, who knows, he'd probably tell me to go fuck myself. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't, who are you? Or, or he might, whatever. But the point being is that I recognize when people are doing it, but just like that thing there, I can't manage, you know, it's like there's going to be hundreds and thousands of people who are going to do well without me. Sure. Yeah, you're not the end-all, be-all. You're not the, uh, you don't have, you can't win them all. I'm sure you've you've rep, you've managed people that didn't, didn't turn out to have great careers, and I'm sure you've managed, you've said no to people. You told me a, a story one time about uh, Kevin Hart. Yes, I said no to Kevin Hart. You said no to Kevin Hart. So and I mean, that was 20 years ago. And, and every manager, I'm sure, has a story similar to that. And every comedy club owner has, you know, Mitzi Shore said no to Louis C.K. and to Jerry Seinfeld. Bob Fisher, the owner of the Ice House, told me a story about Jerry Seinfeld came and headlined the room. And he got off the stage and Bob went, hey, uh, yeah, this club just isn't for you. My audience <laughs> didn't like it. So, so I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's and impossible. I, and it's, it's not that I didn't like Kevin Hart because obviously I have a great relationship with Kevin Hart because look up all the podcasts that Kevin Hart has done interviews for and, uh, you know, he said yes to me in five minutes. So even 20 years later, I have a great relationship with him. You know why? Because I go up to him every time and I say, look, I was wrong. <laughs> and I'm so proud of you of what you've accomplished and I'm rooting for you and I truly am like I I I just didn't think he was ready and I want him to be patient he didn't want to be patient he said I'm no one know. wants to be patient yeah. no yeah. comedian I've I've met I've never met a comedian that got offered uh you know JFL or a or a late night set and was like I'm gonna wait a few years I'm sure that exists but I've never seen it yeah, and so, um, and he went out to L.A., and it happened. Aries Spears, the same way. Like, I was just, you know, look, man, you're 16. Just take it easy. Relax. <laughs> I'm going to L.A. These were, they were both in Boston? They were uh, or New, New in New York. New York. So, back in the day, you owned the Boston Comedy Club. Yes, which is the show that you see, in, which is the club you see in Crashing. The, sh- the club and crashing and i imagine that was your number one way of scouting talent you would see talent that came through your own comedy club yeah and, i would give opportunities yeah. to people that the other clubs wouldn't give and right. i loved i wanted to represent young people who nobody right. wanted to represent but now that you are older are a family man you have two uh horrendously spoiled and cute kids 13 and 14, yes. I, I remember the first time I met your kids. I was in your office to record your podcast. Never met them. They didn't know who I was. Uh, this is their first time seeing me in their life. 
they come up to me and start hitting me with pillows. <laughs> that was no, hey, how are you? Who are you? I'm so and so. They just came up to me and start bashing me with pillows, and then I took the pillows out of their hands and beat them back. But did you uh, throw one of them on the ground or something? I don't know what I did. <laughs> I start hitting me with the pillow, and they go, "My dad's gonna fire you." And I go, "Good. He doesn't pay me shit." No. But uh, oh yeah, so you so you've gotten older. You're family man. You're you're chilling on the beach in Malibu. How do you find talent now for your for your little empire? I the I watch so much talent. So many. I mean, I get sent so many things. Yeah. And I find myself, unfortunately, passing on 99.99% sure. of to. things. Yeah. Um, I don't, I just don't like a lot of um, what people are doing. And I get frustrated. I always tell people, you know, this is what you send me. And, and for those comedians listening, Film every set that you send out to somebody like a late night set from the hips to the top of your head, straight on, no zooming in and out. And do your set. Boom, 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 boom. Thank you. Good night. And don't put stuff in there that's like, hey, what part of the McNugget? You know, is from the chicken. Uh, you know, hey, Gilligan's Island, they could uh, make a bamboo uh, blender, but they couldn't fix a hole in a bowl this bi- boat this big. Oh, I was flying and that tray table went down. Hey, listen, I was fucking this girl and it was incredible. Hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? It's like fucking just do the set. And do material that is not dick jokes and fucking and farting and menstruation and sperm and smoking a Don't joint. Don't be a hack, and is what he's saying. I saw this commercial. Watch fucking Bill Hicks and Jim Jeffries and then create something that no one has done before. Create a bit of how you, when you see somebody do it, you're like, holy... Watch Gary Gullman do fucking 20 minutes on fruit. And you're like, holy fuck, how do you make jokes about grapefruit? You know, it's like, watch the greats. Study greatness. Imitate greatness. Become fucking great. Don't send me. Some guy sends me a tape the other day. Like, he's so excited. Sends me this thing. The applause is there. He's right in front of the mic. I'm thinking, okay, this is great. Then all of a sudden, it cuts to a shot from the side. So now I'm watching a shot hey, from the side. That's a two-camera shoot. It's a two-camera shoot, but then it there stays with the shot from yeah. the side. And then it's like the first thing is, hey, everybody, how you doing? Good? Yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, hey, what's your name? Hey, pal, nice flannel shirt. You feeling good? Shoes? You wear flip-flops to the show a lot? I Like, after one minute, I shut it off. I fucking call this guy. I'm like, what are you doing? You've been doing this for 18 fucking years, and you don't know how to send a tape to somebody? 
And so a lot of people have stuff on YouTube and these sets on YouTube, but they're like, well, I don't want to take it down because it's got 767 views and I don't want to lose those because cumulated, uh, you know, I'll make like $6 and a bucket of chicken if I just have it this way. I'm like, what? So I, I find that it's unbelievable to me that You're people picky. don't understand the business and don't understand that, like, you, look, you talk about dating on your show, okay? I talk about everything. Yeah, but you talk about women a lot. Yeah. And you love women. Sure. And when you meet women, like when you met that Australian tourist. Yes. Okay? You don't roll up to the Australian tourist picking your ass and and pulling (laughs) the underwear out of your shorts. No, I try not to do that. And going like this. Not anymore. You go and you give the best representation of yourself because you don't know how much fucking time I you're going to bathroom. have with that Australian tourist. After the 17-hour flight to Australia and she was picking me up from the airport, I went to the bathroom and I gave myself, uh, this isn't a politically correct term, but I don't know what else to call it, a Mexican shower where you use the sink as the shower and you wash up in the bathroom because I yeah. wanted to look good. So... Why did you do that? You, I know I'm, I'm getting adamant about this, but you did <laughs> that. Because I want to look good. I mean, no. You wanted I mean, to be the you best representation me. of yourself, and you wanted her to like you. You wanted her to be attracted sure. to you, and you wanted her to eventually give you what you wanted, which was passion. Obviously, what you're saying is true, and when you say it, it's so obvious. But from coming from a comedian like myself, for example, I remember when I'm six months into comedy, because every comedian thinks they're better than they are everyone and probably every manager thinks they're a better manager than they are same thing everyone thinks everyone likes to think highly of themselves for the most part so i'm six months in a comedy and i could kill for five minutes uh, I, that's just the way it was i could do well for five minutes were any of the jokes great no they were all terrible but in my head i'm like they're great because i'm killing for five minutes so i think i'm ready Ari, so i put know, out you don't know what killing is at six months. No, I know. If you watch concert films of people, no, no, no. That's let me just tell, let me just tell the story. So I'm doing well for six months. I know when I bomb. I know when I don't do well. And I've, I'm not saying I was a good comedian because I wasn't. I for sure wasn't. But I had a, a set that could do well. That I could go in front of an audience, do it, and everyone in that audience would go, "That guy's funny." So in my head, because of that, and this goes for a lot. Of, I'm speaking for a lot of comedians. We think oh, we're good. We're good to go. We have five minutes. We could we could do it, you know? So in that time, there was a YouTube channel called Comedy Time, and they asked me, they saw me do my five minutes and do well, and they said, hey, do you want to do it for Comedy Time? And even though I should have been like, absolutely not, I shouldn't do this, in my head, as a young comedian who's doing well, I go, of course, yeah, let's do it. Put it on the internet, get known get a following let's let's do it so then i do it and now there's this five minute set of me on youtube where two years later i'm ashamed of and don't want it out there but then it's on someone's youtube and they won't take it down i've had a number of those taken down but that's what a manager has to do (laughs) yeah um and you have to figure out how to take them down but you should never put anything up that's not extraordinary and what I'm if, saying is, I agree, think it, and if you're if right. If you think it's extraordinary, then have a bunch of people you know look at it that you trust that will tell you it's extraordinary or not. 
And, you know, you've sent me a lot of video. And I'm, you know, again, I'm very particular. And I, I, I presume you send it to me because you want my opinion. Sure. And I have a very strong opinion of some of the things that you do. Mm-hmm. And now it's hard for you to accept because you'll be watching a Netflix special and you'll be like, well, how come that guy has an hour and he probably got paid $750,000 and, and he's doing that same edgy dick humor there that I'm doing. I'm like, and I always say, you're not him. You, that guy paid his fucking dues to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You're not there yet. You have to prove to people what you're doing and then you can get to that and you got to choose your lane. Yeah, if you want to be fucking Dice Clay, who's amazing and a tremendous actor, he chose his lane. That's it. That's what I do. You're not going to get fluff from me. I'm going to give you the hardcore stuff mm-hmm. and it's going to be nasty. I'm going to be Chris <laughs> Sale. And I'm going to give it to you that way. And you're not going to be able to do anything with it. But that was his lane. That's not your lane. You were doing one joke about this that was could be on Fallon. And the next joke was about, you know, a dick joke. Right. Then the next joke was something you could see on Kimmel. And the next joke was something, you know, about some drug or something. <laughs> or It's just... Sure. And so... I, I think, you know, people can study. Like when I was starting doing comedy, which probably the audience doesn't know, I, I used to be a, I don't even know if you could call me a comic. Forget it. Don't call me a comic. But I did comedy for many, many comic, years yeah. and uh, worked with a lot of great people. And the thing is, is that when you do it back then, you know, it's hard to believe that. But before 2000, there's nothing. There's nothing. You know, you have The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and there's there's nothing. There's no internet. There's not, it's, it's like I was watching VHS tapes of William Morris reels to try to understand what comedy was like. But everybody out there watching this, you can study all day long the greatest comedians in the world. You can transcribe it with a transcription app and then you can look at where the laughs are, where the setup is, where the joke is, where the laugh is, where the next setup, where the next. You can look at how many jokes the blueprint per minute is there, there are. It's yeah. all there. And then when somebody sends me, and I get so many things sent to me that are just, I'm just stunned. Um, it, it just, it, it almost is disturbing because I think to myself, these people have all the tools. And. You know, you, one of the things that's important to understand is, is, is patterns. And you talked about how comedians always think they're better than they are, and, or people always think they're better than they are. But life is about patterns in every way. And so your pattern as a stand-up comic right now is you haven't done a television show yet. Mm-hmm. As a stand-up. So your pattern is, I'm working in the clubs, I'm doing my thing, but one year goes into the next year, another year goes into the next year, another month goes into the next month, 
and then you see somebody who started with you who got a television set on yeah it's happened several times and you think to yourself, "Wow, oh, what the fuck, man? I, I, I blew that guy off the stage the other night at uh, Ha Ha's Chuckle Hut. <laughs> but the fact is, is that your opinion of yourself sometimes means nothing because you can't see in the mirror what other people see. Right. And the world and the audience doesn't lie. And it's the pattern. So for me as a manager, when I was starting... I was identifying teenagers, you know, Chappelle, C.K., Burr, Tracy Morgan, uh, Jim Brewer, Jeff Ross, um, Nick Swartzen, Dane Cook. And these people also had never done a television set in their lives. And I saw them and I thought to myself, I think there's something here, not just in stand-up, but in acting, comedy, acting, drama, TV, film, hosting, writing books, radio, sketch, everything. And those were the people that I identified with. And then I, with my talent, worked tirelessly to get them the opportunities to be seen by as many people as possible and to work on those sets over and over again for television, repetition, over and over again, the right thing, going to Robert Morton who did Letterman, having him look at it. Well, I like this joke, this joke, and this joke. I don't like this joke. Show me another set. And just repetition, Tracy Morgan, Saturday Night Live, taking him in a room for eight hours each day, repetition. Let's go over the test again and again. Come on, B, again. Come on, man, that was again. And and so for me as a manager. Almost like a coach. It's one thing, I know this, um, sometimes I, reg- I don't know if I should say this here with you, but uh, so. In any profession, you do one thing and it happens lucky. It happens a second time. That's a coincidence. Third time, that's a fucking fluke. But if you're a manager and 20 times you work with artists who don't have a credit... Their resume is a blank page, and they become household names and millionaires. Then you have to sit down and say, I think there's something that's happening here. Mm -hmm. There's something that I'm doing with my skill set integrated with their talent and their skill set that works. And, and so I know my place. I know what I can do. But that doesn't mean there's not a hundred other managers or agents or a thousand or whatever who know their place too. I just am in my one niche. And when I work with somebody, if they follow the formula and the blueprint I give them, and they don't complicate winning, 
and they don't get drunk and fucked up. They're not an asshole to people. And they just keep doing the right thing. I can get anyone where they want to go if I choose to with their talent and mine. But if somebody's fucking up, they're, you know, yes, there's geniuses who are high every day. And there's geniuses that are alcoholics. I'm just talking about me and my mm-hmm. process. I don't know what other managers, the, the, the people that managed Farley, obviously they got him to where he needed to go and, and he was a genius, and, but he was also an addict. And I don't think I'm good with that. Like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I work well yeah, with that. Yeah, it makes that. it harder, harder to do. Gets in the way of you doing your job. And so for you and every artist listening, it's the patterns. If you're a lawyer, you win one case and you never win another case again, you, you should maybe reevaluate what you're doing. But if you're a guy who keeps winning case after case after case, then you're the formula you're doing is working and, and keep the formula going. And so... That doesn't mean that there's artists who don't work 10 years and don't get a television set and then get one. There's no, there's no formula. Everything has happened. There's always going to be somebody in your profession that gets there first, and there's always going to be somebody who gets there last and always going to be somebody who never gets there, and you run into them and they're driving an Uber. And you just got to stay the course and know that you can do it, but you gotta eliminate the things that you know are not the formula to success. And like you started this podcast, it's exciting that you started it. Yes, every time a steel mill closes, there's 5,000 new podcasters. But the fact is, is that you're doing something different. My youngest son said, can I order a sweatshirt? I said, sure, here's my credit card, because apparently I spoiled him. <laughs> and, and we were about to go on a trip to Colorado. And he's an athlete, but lately he's been kind of doubting himself, even though he won the home run derby at the Cal Ripken tournament. Oh, that's awesome. In August. I didn't know that. That's great. He hit seven out of eight home runs in a row. Wow. But never did that before. Never hit two home runs in a game. Never hit two home runs in a row in practice. Wow. But did it then. And hit three ground balls the first three. And if you know anything about home run derby, it's 60 seconds. So he's, he's basically, that would be like a comedian doing three jokes in a row that are bombing. And then you come back and you crush and get a standing ovation. That never happens. I'm so proud of him. But then he's sort of doubting himself the last five months. Am I going to be where I'm supposed to be at the beginning of next year? Because the mind is powerful. The mind, you know, you have the positive and the negative, and and you think to yourself the things, little things you say, like you know, like when you say, "Hey, I'm doing this podcast," you know, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but you know, I'm going to start it. That's the negative. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Hey, I'm starting this podcast," I'm really excited about where it's going to go. If you can think about all the times that you've said stuff and your audience has said stuff, you can't believe it. But my other son, Zion, has had feelings of doubt his whole life but he started producing music i got him this fl studio uh program times are changing in the cat's house yes 
and kids are growing up. He's starting writing these beats, and it's incredible what he's doing. Sending them to rappers, DMing rappers and hip hop artists, and they're answering and they're working with. It's like crazy. He's fourteen, but anyway. So I go to Colorado. I say something stupid as a dad. This all has a point to you guys. I hope. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I said something like, you know, I, he didn't do what I want him to. I said, you, 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 know, you, you take the same detail with that in your professional life and you'll be mowing the lawns in Malibu when you're 28 years old. And he stood up right face to face with me. And he's not a confrontational kid. And he looks at me and says, Dad, I know what I want to do. I'm going to make more fucking money than you can ever imagine. And I'm going to be so successful. You'll never have to pay a bill again. So don't tell me that because I didn't do that, I'm not going to be successful because I am going to be successful. Wow. Now, ordinarily, a father would give him a backhand or they'd be <laughs> upset. And I hugged him and I was like, that's the greatest thing you could ever say to me, that you know what you want to do, you know the right thing to do, and you know you're going to be successful and have no doubts. And that was great. So we come home from the trip. The package is on the uh, front stoop. Uh, my other son takes it um, in the room. He comes out with the sweatshirt on, and he says, how do you like this, Dad? And on the sweatshirt, it said, seek discomfort, which is a, th a slogan by this group called the Yes Theory, which you should check it out. They're an amazing group of guys on YouTube. But think about that. Seek discomfort. And the reason why I'm here and the reason why I am am proud of you and, and not to embarrass you is because when you started this, this is discomfort. Yeah. We're in his garage, okay? He put this up. He built this studio. He probably spent $3,000 of his own money. He took a risk. It's it's uncomfortable. You, you start with zero listeners, zero people watching, nothing. But you did it, and you went forward, and you made it happen. And so many people don't do that extra thing that makes them uncomfortable. I did my podcast, Industry Standard, in my 50s. Everybody told me don't do it. It was uncomfortable starting. Would I fail? Would it be horrible? I've never done this before, but I did it. And I'm proud that I did it. And I'm grateful that I did it. And I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now if I hadn't done That's it. That's true. There's two segments left on this show. Uh -huh. uh, so for this segment, I would, like to, uh, I would like to help you in your life. Because even though you've helped so many people comedically through your podcast, through being a father... Everyone's got problems. You got problems. You've been through a divorce. You've been yeah. through loss. Yeah. You've been fired from people. Yeah. What's going on in your life? What's keeping you up at night? What's something I could give you advice on? Because I'm an expert in everything. Well, I truly believe that anybody's opinion is valuable who sees you in a way that you can't see yourself. Mm -hmm. And you've known me... Um, several years. Several years. What I hope you're not mad at that I would like you to do mm -hmm. 
is you've observed the way I work. Mm-hmm. You observe the way I work on the phone. You observe the way I work in meetings. You observe the way I work on the podcast, how I talk to people. You observe the results uh, that have happened for clients. You observe me pitching television shows that have gotten sold yeah. and movies as well. And But you've also observed some things that don't go well. So what I'd rather you do than me pick something, I mm-hmm. would rather you... And I have, I've actually, and you can, you know this for a fact, and maybe it's unusual, but I've actually sat down and 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 had you and asked you this as well because I always ask everybody that works with me, what do you see that's working, and what do you see that's not working, and maybe I don't see it. What you know, it might be something from organizing the office a certain way, or it might be something to the way I utilize my time, but. I would actually like to throw it on you because you were there in the, you know, you were in the sausage factory. Okay. So you tell me okay, what I are the things cr- that you I feel are going your your business yeah, are going right and the things that 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 don't go right. Okay, I could critique your business for you. So first off, you know, before we get into the critique, I think you you've had a, an amazing career, continue to have an amazing career. You have a great podcast. I think you do a great job, but no one's perfect, right? So take whatever I say with no, a grain of salt. I'm here. I love it. Okay. You so can't hurt is, me, brother. This it's is, all good. Oh, I mean, I won't. I won't. I'll try not to. Um, so this is my critique after sitting in the Barry Katz office for many a many hours. Probably probably no, spend more time with you than most of your clients did, if I were to guess. Through us I, editing that film, the podcast, yeah. me. I would... I would say I'd spent more time with you than most of your clients. And why don't you tell them what film yeah. you edited? We edited a film about the JFK assassination. Yes, and you did an amazing job. Thank you. Under, you know, I think this should be no, I'm sorry you're giving me a critique, but <laughs> this was a, a film that had to be delivered by a certain time. Yeah, we spent, we stayed up till three in the morning together a few times. And... I, first of all, uh, you talk about, you know, when I talk, I, a lot of times I talk about turning no's into yeses. I tried everything to sell this film and I failed so many times. I'm actually getting emotional because I, 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 I don't think I've ever received more no's. Presidents of CNN calling me and saying, I love this. Oh, Great. When it, let's make a deal. Uh, I can't put this on the air. <laughs> and finally found somebody to do it. And it, the, the deadline was so. And I really, I really doubted myself more than any time in my life that I could deliver. And I swear to you, and I know people say this is a thing just to say, but I never could have done it without you. I mean, I would have like failed completely so i think your audience should know how talented you are in that area so keep going i'm sorry okay so thank you so my critique for your business you do a great job you sell you've sold a lot of things you've turned you made a lot of stars um but my critique is to spend money to make money i think you're a little frugal with Mm -hmm. certain things so i would say for example with the podcast i remember saying hey this is going great. 
your podcast is doing great. Let's buy this nice recorder. Let's ha- get you the best recorder. And you're like, well, can we get a cheaper recorder? You know, you're always penny pinching with those kind of things. Maybe, you know, maybe that's that's my biggest critique is you're a cheapskate. No, it's uh, it's you, you always look to budget, which is smart. You're an adult. You value the uh, you value the United States dollar. But I think you want to you want to be the best. You get yourself an editing bay in your office. You get yourself the nicest podcast equipment you can get. If you want to be the best, you have to have to have the best equipment, the Got best it. stuff. Do you, am I, do you want me to comment on that? If you want, yeah. You know, I think that comes from my upbringing, and I'll explain. Because there's a kind of like a catch-22 to the way... I've operated in my life. So your audience doesn't know this, but the office that I was in when you were there was this office that shouldn't even have been for one person. <laughs> it was like a New York studio it was apartment. A beautiful office that overlooked Los Angeles. Yeah, the downtown and, and the ocean and everything. It had a kitchen that was that had a, like a it had a Murphy bed in the kitchen that had like a, this huge couch. It was had an area for assistance. And it had like a grass green rug. Yeah. Thing. But and, it was nice. And what I, what I tend to do sometimes is I tend to um, put the money into the perception. Mm-hmm. Of what you know that building where ten one hundred building, which is like the I think it won the award for best office building in Los Angeles, like three out of five years, you know Loeb and Loeb was there um the discovery networks uh Hyan Saban, one of the wealthiest men in the world who's into so many different businesses, oh right, yeah, yeah. and so power Rangers so the perception being that when people walk in the office office building nice when we work on the walk in the office nice and that kind of office costs more money than you can ever imagine right and so i sometimes look at the other things and say okay can we get this great stuff that we need but how do we get it for a certain price and i'll tell you where it goes back to my upbringing, which was my mom used to take me to the flea markets. Before she went, she would dress up to the nines, you know, beautiful dress, hair coiffed, nails done. She'd have a car that she probably couldn't afford, but it was nice, and drive down there. And she'd walk around, and there'd be people who were, you know, in rough shape selling their wares. But she'd always be, you know, picking up something like, hey, what, uh, this says $10. Can you do any better on this one? And and I would see her negotiate for the same nice item that was a certain price and, and, and get it for less. Um, and so when I first came to L.A., I had an intern who turned out to be a manager and a producer, Wayne Rada, who managed Patrice O'Neill for a while and um, Big J Ogerson after he left uh, as an intern. And I said, you know, I want to do an experiment with you. 
He said, I'm open to anything. I want to learn. I think that I think this will be a great learning experience. What do you want me to do? I said, you know, I saw that little BMW car that they just came out with, the two-seater. And I'd like a black BMW, new. I'd like black interior, leather. I'd like a black uh, convertible roof. And I want you to go to 10 BMW dealerships within a 30-mile radius. And I want you to tell them that you're going to put $5,000 down. And you want to lease it for three years. And you want to know what the payments are going to be. And I said, that's your experiment. And then when you're done doing it, I want you to call me and tell me which one to go to and pick up my new car, which is going to be the lowest priced one. And so he did his research, went to 10 places. So this is the exact same item. It's not a used item. It's a brand new item 10 times. And the highest price he got per month was $631 a month lease for three years with that deal. The lowest price he found was in Orange County, $298 Pretty big difference. a month. And that's where I went, and he was waiting there for me with the car and the keys, and all I had to do was sign, and I picked up my car. And because of a little extra diligence on his part, for the same item, um, what's that? Uh, two, three hundred and thirty-three times thirty-six. Can we do that real quick? Well, yeah, we can. But the point is, you so, paid about you got about half off of what you would have paid if you just went with the first guy. So three hundred and thirty-six times thirty-six months. That's $12,096 Wayne Rada saved me with the same exact car. Uh, car. Yeah. So what I tend to try to do with people who are young people working in the office, I say, look, one day you're going to do your own movie. Okay, so let's say you do your uh, um, um next short film mm -hmm. now let's say you write a feature and you're producing it and you have to make it happen well how do you do it i just met with a director who did this movie i don't want to sell him out on this or not he did this amazing movie and he got the house location for free as a favor he got a lamborghini a bentley and a i forget the name of the car um DeLorean for free uh, for his movie. He got locations on the street for free because he took a guy out to dinner. And he showed me where he ended up saving over $175,000 on a $500,000 film. Same Lamborghini that you're going to rent per day for $1,500. Same house you're going to rent for $13,000 a day. 
So when I'm working with people like yourself, when I do that, I know it comes across cheap. Well, and no, I said cheap as a joke. No, I, I no, know no, you're, yeah. But I'm not defending myself because yeah. I'm telling you that part of my brain is going to where I was brought up, where I am trying to save money. Right. And part of my brain is like, this will help this person in business mm -hmm. because right now they're looking at podcast equipment that's in the hundreds of dollars. Maybe 10 years from now they're going to be producing a film that's $13 million. And if they do the same kind of process with that, they might get it down to $9 million. Yeah. But you're right. That's what I do. That is what you do. And sometimes it's good, but maybe not all the time. I That's would agree with that. And then the other thing I would say to do is, uh, you know, I don't see you out on the scene enough. I know you're a busy man, but hit the clubs. I want to see you at Potluck at the Comedy Store. I want to see you scouting new talent. I want to see you getting to know all the comics. I bet you I could name 10 comedians you've never heard of that you should know. That's quite possible, but I I do go to the comedy store. You go an average but of once every two weeks. I would I go say to it's at once room. a month. I would say it's, it's once, once a month. month. I would say it's once a month to once every two months. Just because I don't see you there, or you hear? I hear I'm when there? I hear when I know when you're there. How do you know? People talk, Barry. People know who you are. You're famous. Barry Katz was here last night. It's known. Okay, he do was other? there with a the hot date. <laughs> That's another podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, the last segment of the show. How uh, many last segments do you have? No, here? I said there were two more. That was the second to last. This is the last segment. The last segment of the show is we take some calls, and you're going to give them a little bit of, of advice, or we are, to one or two calls. We take calls. Yeah. They're not live calls. They're uh, pre-recorded messages. Oh, okay. And we're going to give them advice on their life we're gonna try and help them out all right buddy so, we both do it or yeah <clears throat> so this is uh from claire frederickson where's claire from i don't know <laughs> okay my ex-boyfriend and i broke up about two years ago and i thought that that was the right decision i tried to move on i've tried to date other people and i just keep coming back to him the reason we broke up is because I kept having doubts about everything, so it felt like it wasn't the right thing to be together. But if it's been two years and I still think about him every day, does it just mean that I didn't try hard enough? Or is... I just don't know what to do. Alright, I think we've all been there. I think we've all been there. Well, I say drop him. There's plenty of fish out there. If you're even thinking, if you're questioning whether or not you should be with this person, get rid of them. On to the next. There's two young single men right here. No, just kidding. But one young, one but close to death. That's what that's what I say. I, it's hard. It's hard to break up with someone always, and I'm sure you do love him. I'm sure he's a. You have a lot of great memories together. But you're thinking about it enough to where it wasn't meant to be. That's what I think. What do you think? There's two philosophies of this. Number one, doubt is the greatest dream killer in the world. Any artist listening, anybody has a dream, 
you have a doubt that's bordering on the negative that's like walking through life with ankle weights so on one side of the coin if you have doubt um and that's what ended the relationship then that's the dream killer your doubt ended the relationship he didn't end the relationship your doubt you didn't mention anything in the phone call about any qualities of his that led you to break up with him you just mentioned your doubt your mind that turned you against the relationship to let you think that the grass was greener somewhere else in this day and age with women the way they are with men and what's happening out there today the fact that you were actually in a relationship <laughs> that was lasting is a fucking miracle and True. so i would say that if the person didn't want to give it another try what's the worst thing that can happen it's true it ends again yeah so but that's one side yeah i i mean i think those those are great arguments and you never know i could be squashing the love of your life by take if you take my advice you might miss out on the man that you are supposed to be with for the rest of your entire life there's never um like when you think about doing something anything what's the negative consequence i mean obviously if the person's an axe murderer then you're putting your life at risk i'm not talking about that but the worst thing that can happen is you spend more time realizing that it wasn't what it was supposed to be but fate is a strange thing and fate will always take you where you want to go most people listening who meet their significant other has to do with fate if they drop their keys from their pocket and pick them up and walk to a certain point they might have missed that person and not be with them it's true but there's plenty of fish out there there's not one soulmate i don't think you know fate is if you miss that guy if you miss that person you'll meet someone else i think and you've you know you've proven that i i mean you've had two soulmates so far look again fate i don't mean to depress your audience (laughs) i was married when i was very young my wife passed away she was 23 years old i thought you know it's over like what what, why did this happen how could this ever happen and then 15 years later you're looking into the eyes of your children and you realize holy shit the universe had to have this person die for this new life to happen. It's, yeah. It's unbelievable. That's true. That's fair. Okay, let's take one more call. Those are um, very sweet sentiments. You're a sweetheart. So sure. I was wondering this for a while now. And I was hoping there was something I could do. Sounds like a black guy. Let's continue. Got it. Jesus Christ. My question is, my mom and my dad are getting a divorce. I'm just saying, if you were to guess the color of his skin. Black guy, right? I don't guess. All right. I don't want to get in between it, but I already am. So I just want to know if there's anything that I can do in my power to stop that from happening. Listen to it one more time. So I was wondering this for a while now. And I was hoping there was something I could do about it. My question is, 
My mom and my dad are getting a divorce. I don't want to get in between it, but I already am. So I just want to know if there's anything that I can do in my power to stop that from happening. Hmm. First off, um, guy sounds a little old to care. No, I take it back. I don't know. I don't think there's anything he can do. That's what that's what I think. It's it's uh you know, it's sad when when your parents are going through that and you want to fix it but you can't. But it's between them. It's a relationship between them and it sounds like it's over and it sounds like it's for the best that it's over. Both my both my answers are very negative. What do you think? Is there anything he can do to stop his parents from getting divorced? My answer to that is you never know unless you try. And if you don't, you know, if you don't get off the dock, you're not going to get to your destination. So, but when you get off the dock, you still could get a wave, knock you back and take you back to shore. It's, I don't mean to use these stupid analogies, but the fact is, is that there's no reason ever not to try to create a situation that you fight that you feel might be helpful to both parties and your family. And again, going back to what I said before, what's the worst thing that can happen if you try and you try to figure out solutions and you try to help them? The worst thing that happens is they get a divorce, which is the same thing that's happening. True. Maybe you make them go to couples therapy. So Family therapy together. I always like to stay the positive course, which, you know, it, it's, it doesn't, never hurts to, to get out there. You did this podcast. It could fail, but you did it. You went out there. You, you took the steps. You walked forward, and, and you did it. And for this guy and the woman before this, what's the worst thing that can happen? The same exact thing that's happening. That's true. That's true. But what if my fear is sometimes trying a second time, it just causes so much more heartache and pain. You know, it's like tearing the wound back open. They've accepted the divorce. They want to move on and heal. And you're saying, let's, you know, let's, let's dig deeper. And you know, sometimes what happens is they get back together and they live happily ever after for the rest of their life. But you went to the dark side. You're right. You're right. I think I think that's a good lesson to take away from this podcast. Be positive. Be happy. Follow the blueprint. Go after what you want. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for coming to my garage. It's an honor to be here. I started my career in podcasting in Jay Moore's garage. And it's only fitting that I end it here in your garage. <laughs> end it? Your pod, your podcast career is just beginning. Thanks, man. All Thanks right. for being so supportive. Thanks. See ya.